Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the gospel according to Matthew. We are in uh, Matthew chapter 8 and 9, and we're in this part in the gospel of Matthew in which uh, the Lord Jesus is presented as the Messiah indeed. We saw how he was the Messiah in word in 5 through 7, and then we have uh, three groups of three miracle stories in chapters 8 to 9. In our previous episode, we talked about that first cycle, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the second cycle. Uh, last time we talked about how Jesus has the power over clean versus unclean, and he decides who to welcome and also who to exclude. He is the one who has authority to do whatever he says, and we saw him do some incredible miracles. Uh, things are going to be ratcheted up an- another level, so to speak, here in this next round in which we have some incredible miracles. Um, which are described for us, starting in verse 23. Each one of these are kind of like an exceptional category of a miracle. So keep your eye out for that as I start reading in verse 23. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled, and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Let's just think about these particular miracle stories. Uh, 
They all are incredible or exceptional miracles that are done. Uh, let's look at the first one, the calming of the storm. It happens on the Sea of Galilee, which is actually better considered um, more technically as a lake. Um, we're told that the disciples are there in the boat, and they play an important part in this story. Now, from our perspective, we think of the 12 disciples um, that would have been with Jesus. However, if we're following Matthew's way of telling the story, we've only been introduced to um, uh, disciples who are fishermen. We'll get a tax collector in, in just a short while, but we only have fishermen disciples who are called to be fishers of men. So these are uh, people who Let's just put it this way. This is not their first time being on a boat. They've experienced storms, but this is this must be an exceptional storm because it even causes these experienced uh, fishermen to panic. They come to Jesus and he is sleeping. Now, if you think back to the Old Testament a little bit, can you think about any stories where there's a great storm when people are on a boat and the main character is sleeping and then miraculously there's a great calm? Well, to a lot of people, this suggests there's something, there's some sort of a connection with the story of Jonah. And if there is a connection with the story of Jonah, it seems like Jesus is being presented as a kind of anti-Jonah. Um, whereas Jonah is running away from the Gentiles, what we will learn is that Jesus is actually going to the Gentiles. Whereas uh, Jonah has to be thrown overboard, uh, seemingly to his own death, in order to calm the storm, all Jesus has to do is simply say the word. Uh, and we'll just keep our, we'll, we'll just put our finger on that possibility, because as we continue to go throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will continue to be presented as a greater than Jonah. So here we have an exceptionally great storm, and uh, Jesus, all he has to do is simply uh, say the word, and the storm stops. Now, in antiquity, uh, we surprisingly don't have stories about people calming storms, even in uh, Greco-Roman mythology or something like that. Uh, so this is something that is rare. This is something that's in a class apart from uh, cleansing the leper even and healing the centurion servant from a distance. Uh, notice how the disciples, they were there and they saw all of those things, but when they see the calming of the storm, um, they're amazed. And they say, who can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Perhaps they're even thinking about the Old Testament, which talks about how that belongs to God alone. Uh, he alone is the person who can uh, master the storm. So although in this story we have the greatness of the problem and the greatness of Jesus's ability, we also have the smallness of the disciples' faith. Now, that's, this is one of these interesting features in the Gospel of Matthew, whereas in Mark, Jesus rebukes them for having no faith. Uh, Matthew says uh, that the, they are people who have little faith. Now, if I think about it long enough, I can see how both are just saying the same thing, but from different perspectives. What Matthew wants to emphasize is that these people, these disciples, are still believers, they just go through struggles, and they don't have adequate faith uh, for the needs of the moment. Now, that's a significant thing for uh, the issue of soteriology and the study of salvation in the gospel according to Matthew. We read earlier in chapters 5 to 7 about some pretty bold, harsh things that Jesus has to say. 
And in fact, in just, just earlier, we talked about leaving your father and mother. Some pretty harsh statements about discipleship. But when it comes to the actual characters of those who are presented for us as disciples, these are people who sometimes have little faith. But Jesus doesn't rule out people who have little faith from being within the kingdom itself. For example, he says in 630, uh, Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So God promises to take care of even disciples who have little faith and who have their stumblings and their shortcomings. The next account also really emphasizes uh, this, the extreme nature of this miracle. Now, in a summary statement, we've already seen that Jesus has the ability to exercise demons. But here we have something that's, uh, again, in a class apart. Um, other Gospels will talk about how this is a legion of demons. Uh, Matthew doesn't exactly include that detail, although he does say that there are two of them, which is a unique feature. But he also includes this bit about how no one was able to contain him. He's that much of an, of an extreme case. One of the bizarre features of this story is that the whole incident here at Gadara or um, the country of the Gergesenes, there are some differences in the translations, but the whole weird encounter with this demon-possessed man seems to be the whole point of Jesus getting into the boat in the first place. It seems like the whole reason they pack up all their stuff and cross over the lake and get into the storm is simply so that way Jesus can cast out this demon, and when he's done what he came to do, he then gets back in the boat and then crosses back over and continues with business as usual. So this is a bizarre feature, and it, it points forward towards the Gentile mission, that even though Jesus has been doing so many things with uh, the Jewish people, he still has a concern for uh, the Gentiles. Now, in the previous cycle of stories, we came across a Gentile, the centurion, who approaches Jesus and asks for healing. And here again, we have Jesus taking things one step farther, where he goes out of his way, and a lot of inconvenience to himself and to his scared disciples, just to heal this man and send him on his own Gentile mission. Now, there are a lot of frankly, weird things about this story. And of course, one of them, like I said, is the purposefulness of it all. Uh, but another one is what happens to these demons? It, it seems at first like uh, Jesus is having mercy and compassion on the demons. But then he sends them into the pigs and uh, they run into the lake and then they drown. Now, we just don't have enough ancient demonology to know exactly what Matthew is expecting his readers to conclude from this. Uh, there's also a later incident in Matthew 12 where Jesus will talk about demons wanting to go to a waterless region. And there may be some ancient tradition talking about how demons hated water. So it may seem like it was just a cruel trick that Jesus is playing on the demons. That is the way that I tend to see this passage. Notice carefully that they ask him, have you come here to judge us before the appointed time? Now, in kind of standard Jewish uh, 
outlook or worldview, uh, you have this age and then you have the age to come. You have the kingdom age. And it was when, it is with the establishment of the kingdom age that uh, these demonic forces would have been judged and then consigned to their eternal fate. And so they're saying, ah, the time is not yet here. But of course, if we've been following Matthew along, what he's been saying is that the kingdom of God is arriving. The time has in fact come. And the time is now for the one who is stronger than the strong man to bind him, and that way he can release all of his subjects. So the idea of this passage is that Jesus meets an incredible enemy, uh, but no case is too hard for him, and he also has compassion on uh, the demon-possessed man, even though he's a Gentile. We then have this next story of a paralytic. Now, in and of itself, Jesus healing a paralyzed person, though it's a lot more than any of us could do, um, might not seem like an exceptional miracle. But notice that uh, this isn't just about healing a paralytic. It's about the forgiveness of sins. Let's look at the logic. Um, They are offended, saying, who can... Why does this man blaspheme? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, well, which one is harder to say? Uh, Take up your bed and walk or your sins are forgiven you. Now, this is a really clever way to put it because, well, they're both just as easy to say, but... um, uh, if, if if I claim that someone's sins have been forgiven by me, uh, we may not know whether or not that's actually true. But if I say to somebody, take up your mat and take up your mat and walk, and that person's a paralytic, it'll become very clear within the next few seconds whether or not I could actually affect uh, what I had to say. Jesus demonstrates that he has the power to even do this incredible thing the most difficult of all things, to forgive someone of their sins through all of those other miracles. Now, notice carefully the way that Matthew ends this. When the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Jesus is able to do these things because he is the Son of Man. It is a human being who has the power to forgive sins. So Jesus, in his, uh, in his humanity, as the Messiah, though, has the authority to forgive sins. This verse also points forward to other things in the Gospel of Matthew, which talk about how we have the responsibility uh, to go and proclaim the Gospel and thus to tell people that their sins are forgiven. Of course, we'll do it in a way that's very different than the way that Jesus forgives sins. He actually affects that forgiveness. We can merely proclaim it, but both Jesus and his disciples are on the great incredible project of bringing forgiveness to a needy world. That is an exceptional miracle. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash 